You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and I'm here with all the men from the all the places. The boys are back in town. Up in Baltimore, Maryland, we got Jeffrey Simpson. Hello, hello. Uh, down in Sumter, South Carolina, we got Delmar Pete. Hello, hello. Harmony um, Church's own. Harmony Church's own. Right. Down, down in Florida, in the uh, the nice living room and uh, rocking chair, we got Andrew Larson. That's uh, a dining room table chair, but thank you. I, a, I see a rocking chair over your shoulder. And then uh, in his, like, I don't know, game room? I don't know. Timothy Miller. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, guys. We are all back. It was good to take last week off. We just a lot of busy stuff. A lot of big things happened. Dude, guess- we all forgot to record. Come on. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> so I was home doing the, the dad on duty stuff because my wife is a teacher and she's back to – Doing the in-service stuff, so I brought home a camera, a microphone. I lugged all my gear home to record, and then uh, you know, Monday morning the text comes out, "Hey guys, um, let's just not record this week." And I was so sad. <laughs> I was sitting Tim, down with my new Tim, boss, accepting a position. So Tim, Tim was had, taking one of his two hundred days off of vacation. <laughs> <laughs> my last week. My last week. It's tragic, but fabulous. Yeah, hey. he, he took 200 days, and it's only August. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> he sounds like a school teacher. Dude, he, has it to, is... he has to work for Christmas. Anyways, How hot is it where you guys are? Because it's blazing here today. Feels like, I just looked at it, feels like 104. Wow. It's dumb. It's dumb. Yeah. Blech. It's hot. Well, hey. Um, there is a lot of uh, big events. We usually talk about how our weekends were, but but uh, Dell, can you start off by telling us you have a new job? Yes. So it has been a season and uh, it's, it's just wild. There's a lot of details, but long story short, um, my last day of employment officially at my last position, um, a church offered me a position at a new space and uh, a new church. And I got, I get, I get, I get to use like real words now. I don't have to say space. I get to say church. Sorry. This is, I'm so like in a place of sin right now. Like as a I, camp, I'm the only campus pastor now. So I gotta, Oh, I'm telling yeah, you are. But like, I get to like, use. Okay, I don't know. Anyways. So as a guy who I reached out to a couple of years ago, he's just been a friend, but anyways, they now have, uh, they had a position open at his church and we were able to talk. I met with his elders and this church, we, we align with values. I, I can submit with joy, which is really important. Um, I can ask my family to submit to joy and, and I mean with joy and it's just a good, I don't even know how to process it. Um, so I know people are listening right now. Some of you guys have been through this season. This is, um, I've never left a church where there was, um, the bitter sweetness of like, a lot of love that you have for the people, but a lot of pain tucked away in other places. Um, I think several of you guys have, correct? I know, I think Jeff has. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like I'm still in the processing stage. So like one day it's like, holy cow. And the next day it's like, okay, I'm working through some stuff. I miss the people of, uh, of Alice Drive a lot, but God has just shown over and over and over again. Like this was a hundred percent the right move. My wife, has found a new level to her smile that we haven't had in over a year. Because <laughs> if you know, when you're home and your wife sees it, um, it affects home, you know? So uh, anyway, so I appreciate you asking and, you know, we'll keep up. I think uh, the plan right now is even uh, this year at the conference, um, our, my, my, my pastor will be coming. And he was actually there last year. So that was where we really got to just hang out a lot. So uh, there, there's a lot of good things coming on. So Ooh, now everybody's wondering, oh, wait, which one was which it? One was which it, one yeah. was it? Stay tuned for more. Yeah, he's working for Timothy Miller. Good oh, job. there I go. <laughs> Hold on. Let me, come in, let me come into the camera with you, Tim. <laughs> You're in the same room. That'd be interesting. A work, work from home, work remote pastor. <laughs> Plot twist. Yeah, That's probably a thing. I'm sure it is. I was going to make fun of it, and then I thought, eh, it's probably a thing. <laughs> Some church is in the metaverse right now going, hey, that's me. Campus pastor in the metaverse. Yeah. You can work how, from anywhere. How do I hand out biscuits in the metaverse? I don't know. Um, I was 
writing a paper last night and it was, you know, it was about the setting of a ministry and the, the book that we were basing this on was the newest revision came out in 2013 and it was talking about electronic space, like, you know, churches with their website and things. I was like, look, the past nine years, the world has changed even before the pandemic. And, you know, I, I know that there are people that are not the biggest fans of, uh, the Reverend Perry Noble on this podcast, especially if you live in South Carolina, but second chance church was planted from an iPhone in a living room on Facebook. So, and and I will tell you, I may thousands of real life people that gather there each and every Sunday now. So it is as much fun as I like to uh, poke at the, the campus churches. You, you can't discount the fact that real ministry is happening in online spaces. I will give you uh, an honest thing. So when Second Chance Church started, I met with a bunch of youth pastors at the time. One of them on the spot bought the domain for Third Chance Church because they're like, that's coming. <laughs> that's coming. <laughs> that's kind of funny. Um, it's mean, but it's hilarious. Be savage, y'all. <laughs> um, that is funny. Well, uh, Dal, I'm glad that you, you got a job. There was a, 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 you know, a byline in his contract that said, yeah. I was uh, on probation. If he, if he doesn't become a, a pastor again within 30 days. We give then... him less airtime than Tim. Yeah. <laughs> Impossible. Impossible. <laughs> so Christmas and Easter, right? Oh. Uh, Took it funny. too far. Oh. <laughs> um, well, I'll, I'll share an update because uh, something's been happening in my Hey, Frank, share an update. Okay, sound good. Um, so back in uh, January there was a letter written to our elders about our senior pastor making some accusations regarding his, like, um, uh, it has nothing to do with, like, sexual impropriety or um, misuse of money or heresy, but it has to do with, um, for lack of better words, uh, the letter specifically says, like, bullying, domineering attitude, that kind of things, And, um, uh, Several people were a part of this, uh, I guess, confrontation or, or like uh, making these accusations against him. And um, and there's this whole thing. I, I I don't really have the time, nor do I really have like a big desire to go into the depths of this. I've talked to you guys about this a ton, but essentially um, uh, we're, we're non-denominational, but we, we are with a group called Converge Worldwide, which is it's essentially a denomination to itself. But they have helped us a lot to be able to set up uh, listening teams and, and kind of listen to people who have been hurt and stuff like that and to process what it would look like for restoration and forgiveness in this season. And and in that entire process, several months goes by, there's a moment where the elders put our senior pastor on paid administrative leave. So that way he's not serving as lead pastor while, they're be- while he's being investigated um, to determine whether or not he has been disqualified from ministry. And, uh, and so I've been kind of living in that since January, but, uh, I think it's now two weeks, two weeks ago or so he turned in a letter of resignation to the elders and the elders have uh, accepted that letter of resignation. And, uh, we announced it, uh, two Sundays ago that he resigned. And then this past Sunday we had what we call a family meeting. We didn't want to use the word town hall meeting because we were afraid that like, there'd be just a bunch of random people just like. Like, like what you see the school board meetings like we didn't want that you know what i'm saying but we had what we call a family meeting and it was actually very civil and very well done maybe one day i'll come up here and, and talk about how we did it because i think it wasn't heated there were some kind of like um there were a couple of like pressing questions but it was never beyond the attitude of christian decorum that like we all want and desire so it was good um and and basically we're now in the season where we don't have a senior pastor we have an executive team that's working together to function as a senior pastor, and uh, we're looking to get an interim pastor, which is an interesting conversation because that person's role would not be to fill the pulpit, but just to care for the staff and and add pastoral care for our congregation and maybe preach like once or twice. But um, so yeah, that's where we are. And then you know we're probably looking at twelve to eighteen months before we get our next senior pastor. And I say those that those months because that's what everyone's been telling me is how long it takes to find a senior pastor twelve to eighteen months. So uh, that's where we are. So if I've ever had a a slight tinge of attitude or stress in this podcast, it's because that's been working in the background right now at, um, at our church that I've been processing and dealing with. And uh, and yeah, 
So Frank, what are what major changes are in store for you? Like, does your role change at all? Do you feel like your job description is tweaked a little bit? Do you feel more responsibility now? Yeah. Um, so I'm preaching a little bit more. Uh, so if I was preaching 12 to 16 times a year, I'm probably going to end the year probably in the low 20s. Um, not, you know, by the time this year is over. Um, I had a sabbatical planned. So this is really confusing. I had like a... a Two and a half months sabbatical planned for the summer. The announcement came that they put him on paid administrative leave. And I was like, I'm not going to go on sabbatical when, like, the only other preaching pastor is on sabbatical. <laughs> Later, everyone. <laughs> yeah. So I decided to stay. But I did do that three-week adventure that everyone saw me on. But uh, I'm pushing the rest of my sabbatical, hopefully, to sometime next year. Uh, and then there's a couple things where I have chosen to step into a role to help the executive team in the church. So like, for example, me and this other guy in our staff, our small groups director, we decided what the next book of the Bible that we're going to preach in. So in September, we're going to preach through, the, we're going to start the book of um, Colossians. And, um, and then after that, we're going to start another book, but we need to figure out what that book was like in the next month, because we have to, we create um, study guides and branding and all this other stuff. So we need to know what we're going to do next March now. And so me and, and the other guy decided that we're going to do the book of Exodus. And we, me and him are going to like go away. This is my prayer. We're going to go away like for a day on a retreat. We're just going to read through the book of Exodus. And me and him and maybe a couple other people we're going to invite, we're going to like write out what the different sections. So, so we can figure out how many sermons of the book of Exodus is going to take us and, and get us started on that process. So I'm really excited about that. I was never been a part of that before. And then the other thing, and I was actually going to, this is kind of something I was going to ask you, ask you, Tim, but I'm open to hear everyone else's um, uh, resources for this. I sat in your membership class uh, last February. Uh, me and Jeff did because we were there early for the, for the conference. And uh, I wanted to get you guys would join. Yeah, we we're not members. I thought we were. We, yeah, I, I thought we, we were, dude. I thought we get to vote. Um, but, have you been tithing? Uh, <laughs> you didn't uh, say that was a requirement. Yeah, oh, are, you, okay, are, fair. are you are your members tithing? <laughs> oh. No, generous but, uh, giving was in there, guys. Yeah, mm. but we we were hoping. I was hoping to maybe get more information of what your process looks like because one thing that's happened is we haven't had a membership class in probably a year, and wow. and uh, we. Like we want to do another membership class, we, we we need to revamp it because it's kind of like we have a really we had a really weird view of membership in the sense of like you had to be invited in order to be considered to be a member and also other, all this other stuff. It was really weird. It wasn't no one liked it, and we don't know why it was like the way it is. And so I and my, and some and someone else are kind of taking our own to kind of like restructure the membership class to streamline it because there's a number of people in our church. Who are not members, but have said, I want to become a member so I could be a part of voting in the next senior pastor. And so we're like, okay, so that means we have to have a membership class or at least two, maybe even two membership classes before that happens. And so I was, I'm interested in getting other churches um, processes in that. So anyways, that's all it is. Uh, working on different things. Other than that, I'm still very much a campus pastor in a in a space like Dumar was making fun of, and uh, I'm just in a big giant virtual lobby and just get to hang no, out. No, listen, you're you're in an actual church. There, there's oh, here we there's go. glass window. There's ner- you're not renting out a, a public school auditorium. You're in a dead church that you've uh, brought new life into. I appreciate the that. Lord has brought the new life into it. Okay? Well, yeah, but it was mostly Frank. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Frank. I've I've got a serious question for you. As yeah. as the uh, so you know, in my previous life, I was the associate pastor who had become the primary communicator um, when my senior pastor's health was failing. So you said you're going to be in the low twenties by the time the year is done. Is anybody else going to be anywhere near that number? No, there might be someone else that's maybe in the te- low teens. But I'm probably taking, yeah, I'm probably going to be at a third of all the preaching, and then every all the other preaching is going to be split amongst um, the other campus pastors and uh, this this um, he's called the multi site pastor. He's my boss, and he went from preaching once a year to now he's probably going to preach maybe about twelve times this year. 
Um, does does that concern you at all for a year and a half from now when a new senior pastor comes in? Because it's it is difficult to be seen as the primary communicator for a season and then to go take a step into the background because there's going to be, you know, there are going to be people at the church that will identify you as their, you know, even if you don't have the title sure. of senior pastor, there's going to be people that are seeing, hey, Frank is now the primary preacher, therefore he's my pastor. Is that going to be, do you think it'll be hard to stick around when somebody else comes in as the senior pastor? Um, I think that like, uh, I think there's enough rotation throughout the year. Like I'm not, pre- there's very rare times I'm preaching back to wet back to weeks. Like I'm usually, pre- there's usually at least someone else between me, if not a couple weeks between me and the next time I preach again. So I don't think like, I think on paper, if you do the math, you'll realize that I'm doing a bulk share of the preaching, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be felt because of how the rotation happens. And as of right now, because I, I think this is mainly because I'm in school, like to be able to preach less at the end of all this is something I'm going to look forward to because I'm not like, I, if you're asking from a personal standpoint, like, am I going to be upset or disappointed that I'm going to have to preach less when the new guy comes in? Like, that's not necessarily going to be an issue because I'm no, that sounds be, like a dream job. I'm going to be like, get, Oh, this is going to be a little get, reprieve. Get paid the same for doing less work. Sign me <laughs> up. But, uh, w- will that be an issue for the car? I mean, guys, I, I I'm going to be candid, probably more candid than I should be right now. But, like, there's already been – I mean, even in the family meeting yesterday, there was someone who asked a question, will there be anybody who is currently on staff or who was formerly on staff be considered to be the next senior pastor? I don't will think any that- current staff members who are Cuban with a beard possibly no, – no, 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 no. Who preach most of the services. And I actually – the person who asked that question for sure wasn't talking about me. I think he was talking about – um, either the former senior pastor that left to be the vice president of church planning or another guy who is over in Oregon. Um, and and like the reality is, is like, I think any, I remember the first time we had this transition, I was the youth pastor and people were saying, would you apply to be the senior pastor? And, uh, and I think like, I mean, I don't know, Tim, when, you, when, when your senior pastor left, was the eyes immediately on you? When 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 he left, like you're going to be the next senior pastor, or was that still like a, I don't know, or was there like a kind of like a soft succession plan in that? Well, we we had a succession plan that was already approved by sure. our elders and was sent out to the church about 16 months before all that went down with our lead pastor. So at, yes, to answer your question, as soon as so it's a little different, he resigned. It, it was just a different scenario because I was already named as the next lead pastor even though it hadn't officially gone through before he yeah. had even resigned so yeah. it was it was a you know i think the situation. first question that comes to my mind is that's something that you even have ambition for frank yeah i mean i don't i don't necessarily want to entertain or have any discussion about whether mm-hmm. I, I want to be a senior pastor i mean i think i mean one day for sure i think the reality is this is like i love what i'm doing right now and this is not me like giving like, a political answer or anything but like i love what i'm doing now I'm very content with what I'm doing now. I could totally sit under the leadership of someone else again. I mean, I am doing that right now in theory, but like if another senior pastor comes in, I can do that. I think very much also a question that I haven't even thought about because there's not even a search committee that's created to create a job description for the senior pastor role. But like, I don't know what they're looking for for the senior pastor. Like I'll say this pretty bluntly though. Like, if they're looking for the same kind of person as the last guy who was here, who was like system and structures and is going to be like his, that, that, that person is going to make, you know, five campus to 30 campuses. And that might be like a, uh, almost like a hyper hyperbolic example of what they were looking for before. But like, I don't think I'm that guy. Like I've never been a senior pastor. So I don't know if like I would even be qualified for the role. But the reality is this is like the season I'm in right now is to care for my people and to care for this church and to preach God's word faithfully. And like, I'm legit content with that. And I think the big thing that I'm, I'm appropriating for myself right now is, is caring for the staff because that's kind of the biggest like uh, gap is, is the caring for the staff. And I think when the interim pastor comes in, that's going to be a big part of what they're going to do. How many staff uh, do you have working under you? Oh, so there's probably about 30 some staff at, at the church 
under me or or with me because I, I I don't know we've talked about this before dotted line relationships are weird but I probably have about three three or three or four staff three of them are full time yeah you don't have any direct reports they're all dotted line relationships okay. so so like I no one reports to me in terms of like I can fire them or right or whatever but um I you like oversee the team or whatever. Yeah, I help I help oversee the team and set context. It's a matrix organization, fellas. Hey, everything's great in the practically pastoring world, but you know what's (laughs) even going to be better? The practically pastoring conference, where any woes or issues happening in our context are going to be forgotten because we're going to be able to be together at the practically pastoring conference in February, February twentieth to the twenty second. You don't you don't know you might meet your new boss. You might literally you might meet your new boss. Um, the Practically Pastoring Conference is uh, website is live right now, practicallypastoringconference.com. Um, we are excited. We we were just talking before the show about a special possible partnership and someone who can come and, and, and do some really dope stuff. And so how did you even meet Elon Musk, dude? Yeah. <laughs> dude, Dogecoin. I mean That's uh, what Tim's actually been vacationing, dude. Yeah, last year I was at the Partly Pastor Conference. Tim was kept sending me apps about, you know, getting crypto. And then from there I invested <laughs> it so just much. Happened. I met Elon and now, you know, he's on Hey, a- but Tim, are. by the time February rolls around, you're gonna be launching a couple campuses. You might need some new staff, right? It's very, very possible. So come to the conference with your resume ready. That's right. You never know. Yeah. Also, if you're content with where you are, you can also come to the conference because uh, it's going to be a great time of being around people who understand <laughs> ministry and also being able to uh, to learn some practical skills and practical stuff and to and to make new friends and have some fun. So practical just- skills like how to wear a microphone. Am I right, Andrew? Oh, yeah. We got to oh, talk about that. We got to talk listen. about this. Hold on. Hold on. Let me, let me finish this. It's Practical, bad. com. Go to the website. We'll see you there. Andrew. What happened? Roast time. I have no. I don't know what's being. What are we doing, bro? Because was the, was this picture sent out of my mic dangling yesterday or something? No, two weeks ago. Speechless. We're all. It's still lingering. The, it's still the, lingering, man. I can't. I can't deal with you wearing a, a face mic with the cable on the front of you. <laughs> for context, for context, Andrew shared a photo of him preaching, and he was wearing. Another church's T-shirt, which is a you shared this idea. photo. You Andrew shared, shared yes. the photo. I was the cord very confused was, as to what we were talking about. I would love it to know what church your T-shirt was 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 repping, but I couldn't tell because it was blurred out by your cord. <laughs> <laughs> like, why not I, even tuck it behind the shoulder? I have no idea. There's no and, excuse. And listen, and what kind of church it's culture are you setting where no one helped you out and fixed it for you? Come on, seriously. <laughs> Part of the issue it's is a leadership tuck- issue. If you're tucking the cord, it gets sweaty back there. Especially if I'm just wearing a t-shirt. What? How, the clip. Swe- How sweaty does it get? I don't. I it does get sweaty, Florida, man. It's humid. But still, get a get a clip, my man. Clip I, it to your I collar. Had, Come I on. I was doing a I was doing a funeral last night, and um the oh, he pull, pulled the funeral it, card. Can't make fun no, of him anymore. No, please let me tell you. When we are not recording, I can tell you stories about this funeral. Let's just say someone was peeing in the parking lot after. Oh, it was a, it was an interesting. What? It was, yeah. Um, not the dead guy because that would have been weird. But the uh, yikes. The, <laughs> um, but it, like the mic was just had a mind of its own. It was like going, you know, all kinds of wonky. And I was talking to somebody about how some pastors use surgical tape to you know stick it to their face. And this little lady in my church says, I don't even want to tell you how much it's been bugging me the past couple weeks looking at your microphone. Oh, so, it's time. It, dude, either surgical tape or the little round band-aids. Those work great, too. Or just make the investment. Get the double ear. Double ear mic is where it's at, dude. Double ear it doesn't move. It, does I, I had the, it doesn't move. I had the double ear mic at my previous church. And honestly, I should have walked out the door with it. Because it was no, nope. it, it, it was it was my no, it was my microphone. Oh, then yes, or, ordered for me out of like pressure. You know, I had like a tech budget. Yeah, yeah. And so i I could have made the argument for I can, in good conscience, take this with me. But I Andrew, just wanted to be listen, above reproach. From one small church, low budget pastor to I, what I assume is another. Uh get yourself the double ear cheapest double ear microphone you can find on Amazon. And just discard the mic that came with it and put your countrymen on that double ear. 
Simple process, easy to do. A little bit of surgical tape, make it work. Now you got a double ear countryman. It's perfect for like twenty I bucks. Have, I might have to Facetime you and have you. Uh, watch I'll show me you what I got. It, I'll show you what it. I got. Done. Game changer. I also have a rep with Sweetwater who can, I mean, it was not cheap, but I got a discount on my Double Ear Countryman. Oh, dude, it's worth saving up for. It's for sure. It is. Now, I have a microphone story of my own I knew I wanted to tell, which is why I made the transition to make sure we talked about this. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Secrets are revealed. Listen, yesterday at lunch, I realized how much of a pet peeve pastors and microphones are for me. (laughs) Like... You guys know you go somewhere oh, and yeah. it's it's always the boomer pastors that act like they've never seen a microphone before. What are these buttons on here? I don't even know. So I realized, but what happened yesterday is I had a bit of a like a lingering cough for whatever reason, right when I started preaching. And, you know, you get the little tickle in the throat and you're like, ah, I could probably push through this, drink some water. Still didn't work. So I had to cough. Mm. And at lunch, one of the ladies that was at church, you know, who came to lunch with us, was like, man, who was on the mute button when you were coughing? Because they were really on point. And I was like, oh, that was me. I was just reaching down and muting myself. <laughs> and she was like, man, you're really, really good at it. And so that made me think of this picture with you, Andrew. And it made me realize how how picky I am about pastors and their microphones. And like, like you should understand how it works, guys. You use this thing at least once a week yep. for years and years and years. We're not going back to no microphones. Like, figure it out. It's a so, mic pack. So two things I have. If I'm wearing an uh, onboard head pack mic, that ca- that cord is going down my shirt, and it's going to go in my back pant pocket. I don't like for it to be seen. I don't like to be able to bump it into anything. I want it secured. Yes. Now, second thing. Clip on the collar? No, I, mine mine goes around the countryman, double ear, right? No, but I mean, is there a oh. clip for the wire oh, on your yeah, collar? So, yeah, 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 there's one of those. Okay. Yeah. Now, Otherwise, it'll pull. I, I do I use those. I actually really like a hand mic too. And because be, I'll tell you why, make Speaker my case. Pentecostal. Go well, ahead. No, here's my case. I I used to be used to lead worship every week, couple times a week. And to me a hand mic is more of an instrument whereas a head mic is more of a tool, right? Hold on, hold on. Hold, whoa, whoa. You used to lead worship just singing or did you play an instrument too? I sang and played guitar. Okay, all right. Yeah, so you know, I was I got- imagining you just singing to like tracks for special music. <laughs> no, 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 no. Is- Lord, I lift your name I lift- on high. Yeah. No, no. At my first full time church, I was also the blended worship guy, which meant Ooh. nobody in the church was happy, right? Yes. But but we still did it. But I also led student worship for a long time. But the point I'm making is I like the hand mic because if I do have to cough, I can move the hand yes. mic back. But Agreed. it's also more like an instrument because I can pull it in closer to my mouth to make emphasis with low voices and pull it back and get louder. I like being able to have like full dynamic range control over the mic, but sometimes I realize that's just impractical. So and I your, think and your sound guy hates you. Oh yeah. But this no, is I where, I gentlemen, this is where him. understanding a little bit of audio and knowing what compression is will help you out a lot. Now that's so true. That's that is true. That's a good point. So anyways, two but I agree about mic. the handheld mic. Mm-hmm. I agree about it. A couple of weeks ago, we had a guy uh, fill in for me because I was sick, and um, he couldn't get the mic closer than like, I mean, below his sternum because of how hot the mic was, and nobody was back there to help him with it. So it was interesting for him. Tough. I love how how Jeff made sure to segue to conversation yeah, about microphones. I had a just, rant I needed to get out there. so he could flex that he's really good at muting himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and be like... I'm not good at preaching, <laughs> but good at muting myself. <laughs> hey, come the come to the Practically Pastoring Conference where we will have an entire session dedicated to microphone decorum. You don't want to miss it. <laughs> Dude, that would actually some be kind of cool. Some people need that. I'm and they always do the thing of like, do I need this mic? No, we handed it to you for nothing. Yes, you need the mic. Come on. I mean, that would be like a solid breakout for sure. Uh, yeah. Mic my, my, my skills. Well. With that said, let's uh, talk about a Gallup poll that came out uh, not too long ago. This uh, Gallup poll uh, has some somewhat disturbing. Uh, I, actually, I don't know if it's disturbing because the last time they did the Gallup poll, it, the numbers weren't that great either. But um, uh, here's kind of like the the main part from uh, uh, Gallup. A record low, 20% of Americans now say the Bible is the literal word of God. 
down from 24% the last time the question was asked in 2017. Um, so, so, you know, they've asked a number of people. I'm, I'm venturing to guess that not everybody they asked were Christians or evangelicals. Um, evangelicals do hold the highest percentage of people, but it's still like under 50% or something like that, um, of the group of people who would say that the Bible is, uh, the literal word of God. There is, you know, uh, nuanced conversation on, is it the inspired word of God that bumps up to 49% or if it's a conversation of ancient books and fables, 29%. So I guess this ultimately comes down to an interpretation and understanding of inerrancy, but it also is a conversation of the perception of the Bible in a increasingly secular America. Um, so I guess a, a couple of questions I have for you guys is one, does this stat even like b- matter to you? Do you even care? And then the question I actually care more about when I see stats like this, I kind of am indifferent about these stats, especially when it's probably gonna be such a large swath of people that some of those, like, let's say you're interv- you're asking a non-Christian, what do they think of the Bible? Why, why does it matter? if they have a high view or a low view of the Bible. Does that make sense? It's like, it's like asking um, the same question to non-believers about like, is, is divorce bad? Well, if, if you don't have a set of moral principles or standards navigating or, or being the backdrop to why marriage is important, then divorce is a, a kind of a subjective conversation. So I guess my question to you guys is, does the stat matter? And then for the church, does this concern you? as the conversation of inerrancy is becoming more and more of a topic that is being in question and the kind of evangelical stronghold of inerrancy being a primary force in evangelicalism is kind of seems to be fading away and we're more accepting other interpretations of the value of scripture. All right, that's a lot of preface to those like five questions. What's up? What do you think? George Lucas said it. Everything is poetry and it repeats itself. I mean, this is what happened in the Southern Baptist denomination in the 80s, right? If you're familiar with it at all, that was the big kerfuffle was, is scripture inerrant? And after that, you had a resurgence of conservatism. And now it's everything's everything is drifting back that way again. But I, I mean, I'm, I'll go and put my stake in the ground early. That's a close-handed issue for me because if Scripture is not the Word of God in its entirety, then how do I know what part of the gospel is? And now I'm picking and choosing, and I have no objective morality anymore. It's just a subjective interpretation of something that is subjective. So I have no place to put my footing, especially when I'm living my own life, but I'm also talking to other people's about, um, about faith. So for me, I, I think this is a battle that, we don't need to let up on. I don't think that it's obviously an in-house battle, but what's unique about this in-house battle, this in-house battle affects the people outside of the house, right? So this is like really important. I think it should be put in the front stage. To back your stats, Frank, um, Arizona Christian Institute, I believe a couple months ago released um, stats, only 41% of all lead pastors in evangelical churches in, in America hold to a Christian worldview anymore. So this is trickle down, right? It starts in the leadership and goes down. I think if we're looking at a Gallup poll, we need to realize that this is a scientific poll done on church people, but not by church people. How how many people that are asked this question could even identify the difference between saying the, this is the inspired word of God and this is the actual word of God? You know, the... of the people, if you survey them, aren't going to actually know what the difference is between those two. And if you combine actual word of God and inspired word of God, you're at um, almost 80% of Christian adults. So that's about where we should be. I I, I found, I downloaded the PDF to see how mm -hmm. they worded the question. And this is what they, this is what they asked, um, they asked 1,007 people. That's I'm looking at the stats. It says, which of the following statements comes closest to describing your view of the Bible? That's the a Bi- pretty small sample size for right. a poll this big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
the Bible is the actual country of 330 million. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, so, so which of the following statements come closest to describing your view of the Bible? One, the Bible is the actual word of God and is to be taken literally word for word. Two, the Bible is the inspired word of God, but not everything in it should be taken literally. Or three, the Bible is an ancient book of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts recorded by man. So what's tough is what you just kind of alluded to, Andrew, is both the first and the second question. Both first it's a bad survey, statement. honestly. It, yeah, it's, I was going to say it's, it is not a Christian survey, and Gallup is doing this you know, for news purposes, but I am a conservative evangelical, and I would be comfortable with either of the first two answers if – some clarifications were to be made. For instance, if should everything be taken literally? Well, I don't. It's practice not even Old good Test- hermeneutics to take yeah. everything. Yeah. Literally. No, that's. I, I would say poor I, hermeneutics. I don't practice. I don't practice Old Testament dietary law. Therefore, right. I'm not taking Song it of Solomon much. It, hey, some of that stuff should be taken literally. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> literally and frequently, but I, I, I'm just saying that it's this article does nothing to upset me or concern me. Yeah. In fact, if anything, if you combine the, uh, besides my math skills from earlier, the, the 70, whatever percent it is that is saying that, yes, there is authority behind God's word and it is somehow inspired. That's, that's a positive thing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. When I look at the line that is the uh, inspired by God, but not all of it to be taken literally, it's basically hasn't moved. Um, and then the line of it should be all taken literally has dropped, you know, down from, let's see, 38% in 1976 down to 20% today. Whereas the line of it's inspired by God basically has stated about 45% since 1976. Now the line of that it's fables and stuff that has gone up. Um, but you know, that be, if I was going to take this, survey seriously that would be the one that i would be maybe slightly concerned about but you know this thing is pretty much irrelevant to me i mean it doesn't concern me or alarm me but i think it could be helpful right it's i'm interested it's interesting to know know the trend and then as as primary communicators in our churches to sit there and say okay maybe people don't know as much as i think they might know and that that's always good for me to remember illiteracy is for sure biblical illiteracy is for sure right and and i I feel like this could come back to biblical literacy so i i need to not say things like you know that's that one story or you know how it goes yeah yeah they might not know that story and i think well what's interesting is like this help with that like when people is it's a discipleship issue how often do we say (laughs) that on this show what's interesting though is it not no it is to me it absolutely is like the biggest concern I have is people who are actually have some biblical illiteracy and then also think that the Bible is inspired by God and they should take it seriously. That combo can actually be dangerous for them because they think they're following God in a way that they're actually not. You know what I'm saying? Like they don't know the the, the overarching story of redemption from the scriptures. They don't know the Old Testament that well. And but they what they think they know they think is inspired by God. And if they have a wrong understanding and they think that wrong understanding has God's authority behind it, they'll do all kinds of wacky stuff and believe all kinds of weird stuff. So that's my concern more than anything. It's honestly, when I look at the, in the chart, it's a green line inspired by God. Not all of it is literal. That line it's kind of encouraging. That line has either stayed the same or gone up a little bit. So, you know, there's, there's maybe more people that think that way. I mean, I'm not upset about people thinking that every word of the Bible is supposed to be taken literally, like, because you shouldn't. I mean, it's full of different genres. I do think it is literally the word of God, but it shouldn't be taken literally. (laughs) Yeah, but that's not what the question was. And that's why I think it's kind of a bad survey. Like it says, the Bible is the inspired word of God, but not everything in it is to be taken literally. That's uh, 58% in this one section of this um, article, while 25% say it should be interpreted literally. Like all of it should be interpreted literally. No. Yeah, I'm concerned about those. Well, and so this is, this seems it's to be, bad questions. That's, that's all what, I'm saying. Well, that, or is it bad question or is it a bad leading headline? Cause well, the question, that too. you know, I, th- I think it's a clickbaity headline. Yeah. For and sure. when you, and when you get into the questions, it's like, Oh, this is actually, if anything, it's revealing that there's some good discipleship going on in America. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to 
<laughs> if you want to take it for face value. Yeah, when given the options, that might be the uh, the the most biblically accurate answer, right? Like, uh, you know, it's inspired. That's, I mean, I mean, the reality is, is like, I, I think when I look at this survey, it's probably not written by evangelical Christians to be able to get the nuanced right to be able to ask, ask the, the right questions, right? One thing I've been thinking about, and this, this might feel tangential, but it's, it's going to make sense in a second. From the five of us, do you preach with an actual physical Bible or do you preach from an iPad or or, or, or just a piece of paper? Uh, and the reason why I'm, I, I, I'm asking this, I have a good friend who has been serving with me since I was a youth pastor here and constantly said, Frank, if you don't have a Bible with you on stage, what makes you think they're going to open a Bible at home? And that sounds a little bit boomery. You know what I'm saying? That might sound a little bit like uh, – um, Oh, you you know you better just have a physical Bible for the for the sake of of showing that. But I think there's something to that where we are embodied people that need to be mindful of our our habits and our and our practices and how that shapes our people. And if all we're doing is talking about the Bible in a theoretical sense that can't tangibly be seen as me opening the scriptures or have any sort of practice where I'm, I'm having people see how I engage scripture, then why should I expect them to have any sort of biblical literacy, even if we're talking about the scriptures every Sunday? Does that make sense? Or am I becoming the boomer now? No, I I'm with you, bro. Like I always have, I think I told y'all, if you listen to the cast a while back, that was my main Christmas present was a Bible from my wife. And one of the, several reasons why I do it, but one of the things I think is so important is when I'm just preaching off of a tablet or whatever, I'm just reading the verse as it comes along, right? But when I pick up the entirety of the Word of God, I open it and read a verse, I'm non-verbally communicating this is a part of a greater meta narrative, And re- I'm reading it in a context that lies within a broader context. It's it's a it's a subconscious thing, but also even for me, I'll, I'll give your what you call it partially boomer. I, I I kind of aside with that. I want my children to see their pastor reading the Bible. Does that make sense? Like I want uh, this is stuff that's taught. This is our discipleship process. I want my kids to see that book, um, so that way they also are seeing that this is this isn't just another app, right? <laughs> It's not just, it's a holy book. It is set apart. And I think for me, the Bible, it is, it is the holy Bible. So I think I take that into the pulpit with me as well, in the sense that I, it's not all going to be in the same place. I'm going to read it separately. I'm going to hold it separately because it is separate than my work here in front of me on my tablet. So that, that's a couple of the reasons why I do it. I think for me, it, it could, it falls in that, you know, um, all things, you could do all things, but you also have freedom, right? There's freedom within it. But for me, my conscience is bound in as much as possible to use God's word. So yesterday, my uh, kid who plays on my iPad all week and then brings it to me Sunday morning so that I can pull up Dropbox and get my sermon notes off of it. uh, I got a call at 915 saying that uh, the iPad did not get charged and they were trying to charge it in the car. And so I printed out 15 pages of sermon notes because I'm slowly going blind and had to, uh, you know, get the font (laughs) up to size 24 so that I could print it out on paper and still read. And so I had my iPad dying up there with me, my Bible and my sermon notes. And the harder I looked down at my Bible to read, the more difficult it was to see because boys, I am, I'm going blind. I, I literally bring my Bible up to preach with me, I my my Bible matches my iPad cover beautifully, which is why I chose that particular iPod cover to try to convince people somehow that it was blending the two together, which is silly, and I realize that. But I carry my Bible up there as a prop, and I almost fear that people are going to say, "Why, you know, why are you bringing that up there with you when you have everything printed out already?" Why, why do you have it up there when, you know, in your notes, you have the scripture highlighted in yellow or whatever it may be. So I think 
I, I don't know, to, to swing to the other side of that spectrum, I, I believe in inerrancy, and I think that people in the pews should be more bi- biblically literate than they are. But I, I'm kind of sick of myself when it comes to using my Bible as a prop or turning to the chapter and verse just so that people will see me turning to the chapter and verse. And, and I will, I, I, let me, I want to say that I empathize with that. Like, I think, let me, let me say right now, I don't have a Bible in the pulpit with me most of the time. I have an iPad and I would say part of it has to do with the series we're in because the series we're in is more of a survey of the New Testament. So I'm bouncing between multiple verses and the pragmatic side of me of going in my Bible and making sure that's all marked, going from my iPad to my Bible, my iPad to my Bible, just doesn't seem practical to me. But I have thought to myself, if I, when we go back into chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and I'm sitting in 12 verses in Colossians, that I will have my Bible open. I, I think that like one thing I was hoping that I, I could do one day maybe is have the, the presence of we read the whole verse that we're preaching on first from the scriptures, and then I can just go to my iPad. Right now, that's not a practice that our church does, but I'm hoping it's a practice we can eventually get to because I think that would solve both of those issues. I think um, what you said, Andrew, is one of my biggest insecurities is that I don't want to ever be called out as using a Bible as a prop just to give the illusion that we're opening the scriptures. But at the same time, I have this like weird like side conviction of, well, if if I am using the Bible as a prop, then I should challenge my own preaching style to not use the Bible as a prop. But I'm not. That's not. A, that's not a shot at you. I'm a. I'm with you with the way you're using the the your iPad and stuff like that. I just don't know what the right answer because there's a there's a, a pragmatic side of I can't read my size 14 Bible, but I can read my size 18 font on my iPad, and it's also easier and smoother to be within my 35 minute time frame if I can not go between both. But I don't want pragmatism to be the driving factor into how I use God's word. And the you Bible know, on you version is just as inspired as the Bible bound in lambskin. I mean, that's fair. What, what I've done, I just went through Samson yesterday. That's a, that's a lot of text, right? I struggle with that as well. So what I do is I have the Bible in my manuscript, but I also have the Bible. And when I first read my first passage, I will always read my first passage out of the Bible, standing almost beside the pulpit. So that way they do, I'm not propping it, right? I am. But then there was another passage with like eight verses that I had to read. And it was just hard for me to do that out of the text. So I lay my manuscript beside my Bible and I'm looking down, reading off the manuscript with the Bible right there. So that way I'm trying not to separate myself from it, but I do at least, I think, cause I want to, Andrew, I, I agree with you. Like if I'm ever going up there and it's like, well, I got to have this thing to prove that it's from here. I gotta, you know, it's, I feel bad about that. So I will, I'll at least read the first one out of my Bible. So that way it's genuine for me as well. Guys, this sounds really legalistic. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like someone telling me I have to have a physical Bible, otherwise I'm not really reading my Bible. My 13-year-old daughter is reading her Bible cover to cover for the first time in her life, and she's doing it entirely in version and entirely with the Bible app alongside of our church. Is so she, scroll to scrolling? Is she not <laughs> reading her Bible, right? She, I, 100%, she's reading her Bible, and she's doing it 10 years before I did cover to cover. I'm incredibly proud of her, and I have no issues with me holding an iPad with scripture copy and pasted from Bible Gateway, highlighted in yellow. I I have stepped down every single Sunday, and I've never had a single ounce of guilt about doing it. I don't know. Maybe this is just me and like the, the topic of I have to have this in my hand, otherwise it's not real. Feels Pharisaical and legalistic. Honestly. Well, I just I think I think to make the connection of if I hold a real Bible in the pulpit more people will want to read their Bible. I'm not buying that. I'm not either. So, like, I, I will I, say I, I can go either way. I, I love having a nice leather Bible, holding too. it. But I've yep. seen a lot of guys preach holding a Bible and say nothing out of it. So 
you know, dude, I, I it saw doesn't, it, last it doesn't week mean for 55 minutes, dude. Held and his like, Bible, if we're going to go, if we're going to get extreme on that and go down that road, and I'm not saying anybody's being extreme, but like, then you should only be reading from a scroll when you're reading the old Testament, maybe, you know, yep. like if you want to go right. all the way there and it's like the other way to look at it is, you know, God's word is transcendent. It doesn't, it's not bound to ink and paper. Like if every Bible in the world, God forbid, burned, we'd still have God's word. It, it wouldn't. It, that, Yo, that doesn't... Have you seen the book of Eli? Dude, it's a great metaphor. Oh, Fantastic. Yeah. Tra- trading wet wipes as currency yeah. and reading the Bible in Braille. Yeah. That movie still holds Amazing. up. Bro. And then at the end, he's the Bible because he, mem- I love it. Yeah. It's great. It's... Uh, um, no, what I would say is, yeah, I, I, right now I preach from my uh, MacBook, which I don't love, but it's what I have because I don't have another device. Um, there was a while when I would read, you know, from the Bible and do that whole thing. And then I realized, like, for me, I was just kind of doing it for a show. And I think I was the only one that cared. Um, but what I would say, Frank, I was going to bring up what you brought up. I think that pulling from traditions that actually read big chunks of Scripture publicly will do more for you than whether your Bible's physical or not, as far as your people valuing the Bible and hearing it in context. You know, First First Timothy, you know, Paul tells Timothy, don't stop the public reading of the word. And I have found many times in my evangelical church tradition, I've done readings and literally had people come up to me and be like, man, that was too long of a Bible reading. And I think to myself, yikes, like the fact that that's a critique, you know, it was too long of a Bible reading. So we couldn't sing one extra song that was written by men. And we couldn't watch that one little extra video we wanted to watch. Like maybe we've got it backwards. And maybe that's why people think the way they do about the Bible. Maybe what we should do is, yeah, and I agree, it's hard when you're doing a topical series, so do it during worship. Do long psalm readings. Have your people read the scriptures. Take a note from those traditions that that use a lectionary. I mean, it's like you don't have to reinvent the wheel here. We're going through the book of Acts, and every week, if I can't find someone to read it, then I just read the whole text. Like this last week, it was 8, 1 through 25, and we just read that whole chunk of scripture. And then we started walking through it. And as I'm preaching, I'm rereading those verses as I get to verse two. And as I get to verse five, but we've read the whole chunk of it. And I mean, I I just, I think there's something beautiful about those traditions that have things like a lectionary where you're going to read the entire Bible aloud as a church every three years. If all you do is just do the readings. It's amazing, dude. We have a teenage girl that reads the scripture at the top of every sermon. Um, and honestly, and it, and that's a great way to it, include some people that I would say that's what it was. It was a, her brother had kind of checked out of the church when he was getting into high school and her mom was afraid that was going to happen. And, you know, is, Hey, is there a role that yeah. we could have her play? And it, so it started before the pandemic. And then once we were doing virtual church, she started to record herself and send it and, you know, and email it to me on video. And it was extra work to plug that into the video when we were doing the online church. And now here we are two years later and it is a part of what we do each and every week. And she is active and engaged in her church because it's a role that she plays. And she stands up front, usually from her phone um, and reads the scripture and she messes up the names of cities and the names of, of uh, people. And it's awesome because it is a teenage girl playing an active role in her spiritual formation. And dude, some people are really good at doing scripture reading and you don't even know. Like some people, like there's people that I have in my church that when they do the scripture reading, they just do it really well. And there's something about it when they, so like, you know, empower those people, find those people. And I have found in my experience that that does more for people being interested in reading the Bible in context than anything else. Well, let me go ahead and say this. I think I want to take in how this can lead to legalism, how we have different ways of doing it. I think a lot of this, because it is such, we localized. I think this is a part of a pastor knowing his congregation. Okay. Like I do, like if I'm in an older church where my congregation is bringing their Bible, like I'm not going to create a stumbling block for them. Right. Just not going to do it. You know? So for me, it's a convict, like that's where my whole heart is. I want to know, like I've gone and spoke at student events before and I'm, I preached off. Everything was off paper. You know what I'm saying? Like I've done that. Now, I still have a Bible because if kids want to ask a question after, I got to have the thing. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I used to preach off an iPad. And then one time one of mine died in the middle of the sermon. And I was like, deuces to the iPad. So um, it froze up on me. But I think it comes down to your conscience. It comes down to exegeting your, your people. 
And like you said, as much as you can avoid legalism. Well, and like what you said, it could be a stumbling block the other way too. You could be using a paper Bible and people are going, why what, is my phone not good enough? Is this not God's word? Because I've had that experience too. And, you, and then you have to be like, oh, no, no, no. I wasn't trying to, you know. You've had so I, somebody tell you that because you used a Bible, it offended them because they couldn't use the phone? I didn't say offended. I but, mean, but it was a stumbling block? Yeah, yeah. They're asking like, oh, wait, do I have to use a paper Bible? And then I have to go oh. into a whole thing about like, oh, no. And a paper Bible is just, it's you. just ink on paper. It's not. I got you. You can be a conservative virtue signal virtue signaler as much as you can be a progressive virtue sig- sure. signaler, and sometimes carrying that leather bound book. Oh yeah, but I do. It's love a way it. to it's a way to look holy, man. Ooh, you guys did, did you guys have a sweet Bible zipper cover when you were in high school? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, with the cross on yeah. it. My favorite yeah. is More when like there's eagle. that there's that you person who who brings in their big for twelve years. There's that person who brings in their big, huge Bible to church every week, and they are constantly the one that leaves it at church. And you're like, hmm, <laughs> and what's happening here? Uh, I wasn't a nerd. I never had a cool zipper Bible cover. I barely brought my Bible to church. <laughs> I feel like but, every adult as a child in my life had that zipper Bible cover, and every time they opened it, like 85 pictures of their kids fell out. It was, the, <laughs> and it was the closest thing to a purse a man could carry. For real. There, Do none of y'all have like a Bible like that? I mean, I have one that has like bookmarks that a lady hand knitted me in my first church, like random. I have this Bible. I I mean, just saying what it is. People would give me stuff and I'm sentimental. So I stuff it in this Bible and it's it's just there. No, I don't have one like that. Maybe I've got my first I've got my first Bible that my parents gave me and it's kind of a treasured possession with a lot of notes and stuff in it. But (laughs) I have my King James Bible that my grams gave me for my eighth birthday that uh, is on my desk and in my used to be my office now it's my 12 year old's bedroom um is my metal bible that i took to camp the summer that i met my wife and there's a pressed flower in it from lake aurora nice that uh you know holy holy ground one there you go i've got my favorite bible that i have is a life application study bible that i got at a garage sale for a dollar it was still in the cellophane and I was like, man, that was like an $80 Bible that someone sold for a dollar at a garage sale. Wild. And uh, that has uh, some handwritten sermon notes of mine in it. That was the first time that my wife had heard me preach um, in several years because um, after we moved to Texas to go to seminary, um, I was not in a preaching role. And so I, we were at a retreat and I was asked to, to preach. And afterwards, she was like, wow, for the first time in our marriage, I can see you doing this for a career. And I was a little bit offended, but also like awesome. Something's working. And so I have that uh, set of notes still in that Bible. So I'm very sentimental when it comes to my Bibles, but I also know that the U version on my phone is as inspired as any one of those Bibles. And the U uh, version on my, or actually the, the Greek tools on my phone might be more helpful than some of those notes and some of those paper Bibles are. This is good stuff. Well, um, I, I like the, that we all have kind of a different perspective. I agree with Tim. I don't want this to become legalistic. I think ultimately, how can we help our people read their word more and, and, and then read their word in such a way that they do believe it is the inspired word of God? I, I know you – But Tim, let's also say we also agree somewhat with Delmar that, hey, if you're pastoring a church with older folks and this is a thing for them, just bring a Bible, dude. Yeah. 100% just like bring, bring a Bible into the pulpit yes. and read from it. Kind of like matters. how yes. Jerusalem, or Acts 15 said circumcision isn't necessary, and then yeah. Acts 16, Paul circumcises Timothy yeah. because sometimes context Just like matter. that, but with less pain. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> it's a different kind of leather. But nevertheless, oh, no, no. no. Well, human skin is leather, right? Okay, okay. moving okay. on. Andrew on. did it. He went um, there. Hey, this well, is Scott's Tots episode of Practically Pastoring. <laughs> this has been a great episode of Practically Pastoring. And if you want more uncensored content, go to the Practically Pastoring conference. Uh, Andrew's unfiltered, and I can't just mute him there. So make sure you go to the conference. I'll see you next this February. Follow us on Instagram. Keep the conversation going in the Facebook group, and uh, and yeah, and we'll join our Patreon for the unedited episode. 
There's no Patreon. <laughs> Unless you think it's a good idea, but we don't have a Patreon. All right. With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. See ya. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.